Welcome to the Jesus Church Podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence, to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. We're all in process, becoming something. Like a potter throwing clay or an artist mixing color, our lives are being formed. Different backgrounds and experiences blemished and cracked. Each day, an opportunity to move into or out of all that God has purposed. So the question isn't if we are becoming, but rather who are we becoming? And in this family, we want to go on the journey of becoming like Jesus. Good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome. Um, I have to tell you how much I love the two minutes because over all these years, the stories and the communities that we have seen come out of the two minutes is absolutely incredible. So I love to watch you guys all chat. We're Tim and Brittany McDonald, and we'd love to um, meet you if we have not. Um, we'll be studying the Bible today, so if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand and go ahead, and we, men and women around the room, will come and give you one. Yeah, so we've been in a series in the Gospel of Luke called Becoming Like Jesus. Our goals for this series are that we would learn the way of Jesus and then step obediently into those like practices and heart postures that Jesus exemplified in his life while he walked this earth. Um, Last week, we looked at the role of radical hospitality in creating space for those who could never repay you uh, around your table. I mentioned that this was one of the most practical ways to engage the Jesus lifestyle because we all have tables and we all have empty chairs. And every time we gather around a table, we create an opportunity, an opportunity to to have one of those like feast in the kingdom of God moments. Um, We we create space for for people who, who may not have around our table so that we can pour out the love of Jesus on them, whether that's inviting uh, that single parent over for just a night of peace and quiet, or that college student that you sit by that hasn't had a home-cooked meal in ages, or maybe it's that widow down the street that just could use a cup of tea at your home to help care for her in her loneliness. All of those people, likely unable to repay you, will be extended an invitation to a feast in the kingdom of God. Today's passage is in Luke 15, and uh, so you can flip there. And we're going to continue this kind of powerful dialogue around feast and celebration. Jesus was increasingly finding himself surrounded by people who the religious elite considered afterthoughts, um, outsiders, sinners. The, The religious politicals began muttering to themselves, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Can you believe it? So Jesus does what Jesus always does. He tells a series of stories. Uh, and the third of those stories picks up in verse 11. Yeah. So would you turn to me with Luke 15, 11 to 24? Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. He began to be in need. 
So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. So they began to celebrate. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you have sought after us all of our days. Lord, and I just, we pray today as we've been working on the message Tim has and we've been looking at the words you've given us and you have a work to do today where you want to draw people back to yourself. Thank you for the story and thank you for this father who at any cost didn't ask the big questions. He didn't want to know where and why and how he spent it. He just open-armed welcomed him back. So Jesus, we thank you that you're with us today and we pray you speak loudly and that you would just remind us that we are always welcome back to the kingdom. In your name and in your power, amen. Amen, amen. Thanks, love. So it was the summer of 2016. Our family had finally gotten back to Scotland where we had been missionaries for years. And we were just looking forward to a time and a space to be able to like, hey, this is where you grew up and here's the school you used to go to and all those kind of things. We have uh, friends over there. And so some of our friends were like, hey, let's go out for a hike. So we went to Loch Lomond. Uh, It's just kind of surrounded by some of the Scottish Highlands, beautiful area, uh, full of forested areas and rivers and streams falling down into this lake. And we went out on a hike. And there there was a number of us, so we were kind of scattered throughout the hike. And we're walking along, kind of on our way. And I kind of started to realize, like, I wasn't seeing Mackenzie. I was looking for her. She wasn't around me. So I kind of made my way up to the front of the group. Uh, And I was like, hey, have you seen Mackenzie? And they're like, no, no, she's in the back. And I'm like, okay. So I went and I meandered to the back of the group. And I was like, have you guys seen Mackenzie? Uh, And they're like, no, no, she hasn't been here the whole time. And that's when the father heart started to kind of beat a little faster. Uh, And I was like, wait a second. So I started doing that kind of like slight jog thing where you're like jogging up the trail and back down the trail. Where did she go? And after it became really clear that she was no longer with us, I began, I I literally ran all the way back to where we had started on the hike. And it was a bit of, it was a loop and she wasn't there. So then I I ran as hard as I could the other direction to the, to all the way around looking for my daughter. Now, a little bit of backstory. That morning we had been 
discussing and talking about with the couple that we were staying with, a young woman who had just been snatched in Glasgow. Uh, and, and all of those thoughts were racing through my heart and through my mind. I became frantic. Uh, I started searching what felt like for like an hour, all those feelings of like fear and sorrow and begging God, please, Lord, please, Lord. I will never forget the feeling I had, those feelings that I had inside of me as I was running through the woods looking for my daughter, nor will I forget the feeling I had when I found her back safe and sound at the van. She had completely out of character, just made her way back to the van without telling anyone. Anybody out there uh, prone to losing like wallets or car keys? Anybody? Raise your hands. Or maybe your entire car in the Target parking lot. <laughs> Any, anybody out there? Uh, yeah, uh, quite a few spouses are eyeing each other. Uh, what about losing children? Anybody here lost a children in a department store or something like that? Yes. Yeah. Um, in the immortal words of Star-Lord, we are all losers. We are people who have lost things. Uh, for some of you, my story about Mackenzie might have actually been more than just a little bit triggering. And I know for a fact my parents who are likely listening to this could tell more than one story about me. The thing is, is we all lose stuff, and there, but, but there is a difference when we say leave uh, the last half of our Starbucks mocha on a shelf at Marshall's. Um, I'm just speaking into real life experience here, guys. Uh, or whether we leave our keys in the ignition of our car with the door open and the engine running for about an hour and a half. Uh, now, I, I'm just saying it wasn't me, but you'll have to come up and talk to me about who it actually was. Uh, there is a difference. I mean, you probably wouldn't even go back for the mocha once you realize you've lost it. But the, the amount of relief and joy that you have upon coming back to your still running car, it might make you want to go back and get a couple more scoops of ice cream at the salt and straw that you were visiting. I'm totally like keying in on one person here. Uh, anyways, you see, the amount of joy experienced after finding a lost object is reflective of its inherent and felt value. We... We feel the experience deeper when it's something that is deeply valuable to us. This is why we almost cry when we like find that lost wedding band or, or why I had tears streaming down my cheeks when I finally found Mackenzie and why the father grabbed the robe, the ring and killed the fattened calf. This was a moment worthy of celebration. He had his son back. Jesus actually describes two other moments of celebration in the preceding two stories, one about a wayward sheep and the other about a silver coin. Both stories very similar to the passage, and in many ways they tee up the story that we call or often call the prodigal son. In the first parable, Jesus places his listeners into the shoes of a shepherd, and I guess the sandals of a shepherd, who has a hundred sheep. And one of them wanders off and he asks the religious leaders around him, like, wouldn't you leave the 99 in a safe space to go after the one that had wandered off? Wouldn't you do this? I mean, it's a bit, it seems a bit counterintuitive to us, but there were some places where sheep could pasture in relative safety and there were others that were treacherous. 
And this single sheep had wandered from the safety into the dangerous paths. Sheep were notoriously, are notoriously dumb creatures, which gives us some insight into all the times that we are compared to sheep in the scriptures. Um, I'm trying not to be offended right now. Uh, They will foolishly find their way into dangerous terrain or onto path where there's, there might be predators searching for their next meal. Again, so similar to us. But the shepherd, he isn't going to lose this sheep. The image of the shepherd carrying the sheep on his shoulders, likely a young sheep because of the size, is one of intimacy. The shepherd cares for this sheep. He, he desires safety and life for it. So when he co- recovers his lost sheep, he's filled with joy, so much so that he call, when he gets home, he calls all of his friends around and says, let's celebrate, rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. In the second parable, we meet a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one. And then she begins this frantic hunt, lighting a lamp, sweeping the house and carefully searching every nook and cranny, looking for the lost coin. Now, I assume that most of us would probably look for a lost silver coin, but there was probably something deeper going on here, Um, something more than just the value of this coin. And it was customary for for a bride's dowry, that's the, the value, the money that she would bring into the marriage, to be worn as a headdress or a necklace, often 10 silver coins strung together. And more than just being inherently valuable, this would have been emotionally valuable to her. Her identity was wrapped up in these 10 coins, carefully strung together. For any who have lost a wedding band or a piece of jewelry that maybe belonged to your grandparent, uh, those would have been some of those feelings that she would have had. She would have been desperate to find the coin that she had lost, so much so that when she finds the coin, she calls all of her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. Two very similar stories, but with a couple small variations. We have a uh, hundred sheep, right? One wanders off. I got a little chart for this. I, I think in charts sometimes, so it's helpful to me. Uh, we got, we got one hundred sheep and one wanders away. But the sheep in this case is active, an active party to the wandering, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love, that old hymn says. Unintentional maybe. I mean, he's likely just following his stomach we are Portlanders. We get this, right? So, but the shepherd, he goes off into the hills. He's not having, he's, he's got to go find this foolish creature that's wandered away because the sheep is valuable to him. And, and more than that, he cares for the sheep. He wants it safe. And when the, sheep, when the sheep is found, the shepherd rejoices, calling all of his friends around and saying, let's, let's have a party. Second, we have this, this collection of 10 coins, deeply valuable to the owner because Her identity is wrapped up in them. And the coin is lost, not of its own accord. Maybe circumstances, or maybe there was some neglect. Maybe it was the situation was unique. Though though valuable, the coin is misplaced. Why didn't the woman attend to it more carefully? How did it end up in the dirt on the floor? We don't know. But the woman searches the home. pulling up every blanket, frantic to find this piece of her 
missing identity. So much could be said there. But when she finds her lost coin, she calls out to her friends and her neighbors, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. I found my lost coin. In both instances, Jesus wants to be clear though. The lost, the one misplaced, this this is, this is heaven that is celebrating. Heaven is paying attention. Heaven sees the shepherd who has reclaimed his single sheep. Heaven sees the woman who finds the single coin. Heaven is celebrating because the lost has been found. And it's then that we're introduced to two brothers and their father. The younger son asks his father for his share of the inheritance kind of similar to wishing your father was dead. The inheritance, which would, with a double portion going to the older brother, would have represented approximately a third of the father's assets. And so the younger son liquidizes those assets, takes the funds, and hits the road. And then he goes on a spending spree, squandering his money on, on wild living, right? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Out he goes until it runs out. And we're never told why behind the son's actions. We're, we're, we're never told what, what was his reasoning to do this. I mean, was he simply looking for adventure? Was he tired of the life that his father had called him to? The younger son just, he, he just simply hits the road. And it's not like he wanders off. He runs like a racehorse in the opposite direction. Instead of work, only play. Instead of simplicity, extravagance. Instead of sober-mindedness, wild living. Instead of constraints, freedom. But of course, that's, that's the problem with, with the world's definition of freedom, isn't, isn't it? it? It often ends up enslaving us. When did the younger son notice that his funds were running low? At what point did his new friends start blocking his calls when did he find himself waking up on the street in his own filth? We don't know. But a famine hits the land, so he does the unthinkable. The good Jewish boy from the fairly well-off home in poverty begins working for a Gentile among the pigs. And he gets to the point where as he's working with the pigs in the muck, he, he starts to look at the pig slop, the, the, the pods that they were consuming, and, and he says these words. We read these words in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father he came to his senses. I love that line. I mean, we've all had those moments, right? Where we kind of suddenly like wake up. What makes the youngest son's response so great is the humility he finally stumbles into. He hits rock bottom and he wakes up and he remembers who his father really is. He's the kind of man who takes good care of his hired help. And that life is way better than the life that he's living right now. So with this newly found humility, 
he then says these words. And these words, I don't know if you guys have a paper Bible and you underline and circle. Uh, these words are worth circling. This series of sentences. First, he says, I have sinned against heaven. I mean, his starting point isn't his father. His starting point is God. He confesses that he has missed God's best for him, that he has broken trust with his creator. But then he says, I have sinned against you. He gets personal with his confession. He has wronged and broke trust with his father, and he wants to be clear that he knows it. So he says these words, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And though he doesn't actually have the authority to make that decision, in the statement we see that heart of true humility. He knows his father owes him nothing, and he owes his father everything. So he says this, make me a servant. Again, not within his power, but spoken as a humble plea of a desperate man who, who, the, who knows the only person that has the power to do that, to grant that, is the master of the house, his father. And so he gets up and he goes. And what is perhaps the most difficult part of the repentance process, the youngest brother turns his back on his failure, on his sin, and he turns his face towards his father and he courageously stares down his own shame and he begins the journey home. But his father has different ideas. We keep reading in verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The father had been searching the horizon. I mean, there's so much about this father's description that would have had the religious leaders both confused and shaking their heads. No, no father would have acted this way. No father would have taken so lightly the wrong done by this boy. The family reputation had been like drugged through the mud. At the very least, he would have to earn his way back around the table, earn the trust that he had shattered. I know around here we use the word family a lot. We might use the word father and mother a lot. And I know, and I know that that word can be triggering for some of you. It's the painful reality of this broken world that we live in. The family, whether biological or relational, it's been drugged through the mud and it has become deeply broken by broken people. And many of you live with the consequences of that past or present. But my friends, there, there are some ideals that we must fight for. And we fight for them by restoring them to their biblical foundations. We fight for them by letting the creator of family have the final say in what it means to be a family. My friends, family can be a place of redemption. 
It can be a place of restoration and it can be a place of love. When God talks about being a father, he examples it by describing a father who would break all cultural norms, hiking up his tunic, running to his wayward son, throwing his arms around him in his filth, gushing in love over his boy. The father does not let anything stand in the way of receiving his son because of the love he carries in his heart. This is what a father looks like. The son, probably in a bit of shock over his reception, starts into his practice speech. Father, I, I've sinned against God and you. I'm not worthy to even be a part of this family, to, to be your son. But the father isn't having it. He breaks into the son's rehearsed speech, saying to the servants who have finally caught up, verse 22, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. And so they began to celebrate. And now we see the heart of a father. Reconciliation, restoration. He throws the robe around his son's thin shoulders. He puts the family ring back on his hand. This son who had run away was back and he was welcomed into the family. Reconciled to his father, restored to sonship. The father sees in his son resurrection power. That which was dead is now very much alive. He was lost, but he has been found. And so they celebrate. And the third story almost finished, fits alongside the other two. The third story tells of two sons whose value to their father would be immeasurable. They were his legacy. They were his treasure. The youngest son runs off, no explanation as to why, but, but this seeming need to drink from the trough of this world Driven by his desires, driven by his need for freedom, he makes for Vegas. The father, though, he searches the horizon. I mean, we imagine him crying out to heaven for his youngest boy, prayers that some in this room have prayed. Lord, please bring him back. Please, I can't lose him. And then... When he returns, when he comes back, celebration. No expenses spared. We will have a feast because my son, who was lost, has been found. And if that was the end of the story, it would be so tidy. Look at my beautiful chart. It just would work out so well. But, but Jesus and Luke love to keep us thinking, to keep us wrestling. So we're introduced to one more character the older son, the one who had faithfully stayed, the responsible one who had kept his head down, did what he was told, worked hard to please his father. In fact, he was in that moment 
out in the fields working where they were both supposed to be. And he hears the part and he asks the obvious question, what's going on? A servant says, your brother is back. And the father is celebrating. And we pick up in verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Did you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends? But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. The oldest son, so, so responsible, working for his father, had missed his father's heart. Remember what we said in the beginning, the amount of joy experienced after finding a lost object is reflective of the inherent and felt value of that lost object. This father's sons were worth 10,000 farms. It was all just stuff. He had his boy back, humbled, reconciled, restored. They had to celebrate. One more row. We're introduced to a son, one of two, hardworking and hard-hearted, a son who the father loves and values deeply. They are his legacy, they are his treasure, but that oldest son, he stands at a distance amidst his work for his father, the work that had become his identity He'll have no part of this. He's driven by pride. He's driven by what is fair, missing all the grace and love that his father had given to him, missing his family's true legacy. And the father goes out into the field and pleads with him, searching his heart for compassion and mercy Again, as he did with his younger son, he humbles himself. A father doesn't plead with his son. And he pleads with him where obedience should have been assumed. You, you should get your butt back in there. Obedience should have been assumed. Instead, he pleads with him and he turns even the son's words back onto him. This brother of yours, we're a family. We're a family. Yeah, I, I know that you're hurt. I know that those people, they've hurt you. They've walked away from you. I know that you feel rejected. I know that you feel used. But we're a family. And the father longs to bring the sons together because that's what family does. Church, can you feel the reality of this for us in our day? You can hear the father's heart for restoration, but we're not told what happens next. Luke writes it in a way that provokes us. 
forcing us to ask this question, will the lost son be found? Will there be a celebration? Luke challenges us to consider who we are in all of these stories. You know, for those that would have been listening, they would have felt it really keenly. Those religious leaders, they would have known immediately they were those older sons. But who are we? Who are you? For those who are lost in this room, maybe you have showed up today and you, you feel a lot like the sun that kind of wandered away or ran away. You feel like the one who like literally went to Vegas, literally went to Vegas. You feel like that son. Or maybe you're more like the sheep. You know, you, you didn't even really do it on purpose. You just kind of meandered away. And you find yourself here in this room today and the Father's arms are open. Or maybe you're the one searching. You're like that shepherd. Maybe it's, maybe it's a son or daughter that you have. Maybe it's a family member, a coworker. And there's somebody in your life who you're just like, I need them to find you, Jesus. And you pray desperately, you find yourself like me running up and down that path in the woods, crying out to God, Lord, please save them. Save them. Or maybe you're a part of the celebration crew. My goodness, we need more of that, don't we? I mean, it should like wake us up a little bit to recognize the fact that when one person comes out of the darkness and into the light that heaven explodes in a party. We talk about feasting together around here a lot, that kingdom of God feast. This is God's permission saying, yes, let's do it. Let's celebrate the right things together. My son was lost, but he's been found. Come, rejoice with me. I'm gonna invite you all to stand up to your feet. I want to do a little bit of a, a prayer exercise to kind of wrap our time up today. As I was praying I, over this message, I really felt like God put into my heart, like in this room, in this room, we can all relate to somebody on this list. I just want to invite the Holy Spirit's presence to lead us into that. So if you would, just go ahead and close your eyes, open up your hands if you're comfortable with it. Come Holy Spirit. Lord, I, I just pray right now for those in this room, would you draw their heart right now to that person that they are on that list? Who are they? Lord, I pray that you would, you would speak to each of us, guide us, Lord, into who you want us to be. 
If we're that son that has wandered away, I pray for courage, the courage to take that path of repentance, beautiful path of repentance. Lord, if we're that father, that mother who has been desperately crying out for our son or for our daughter, I pray for courage and hope. I pray for fruit, Lord, for all the prodigals that are out there, Lord Jesus, you love them so much. Father, you literally scan the horizon, desperate to rescue desperate to reconcile. You stand beside all those in this room who are waiting and praying desperately. Lord, I pray that you would help them to not give up. But for all of us, Lord, I pray that you would restore to us the joy of the celebration. May this house be a house of joy as people who've wandered away, that sheep, would this be a place for the one where those who have wandered would find refuge? Lord Jesus, send us out like shepherds and make this a house of refuge. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at jesuschurch.org.